for taking a few moments to join us for introductions. This has been my chance to, to have a chance to introduce my friends to my friends. And uh, as soon as I thought about doing this, one of the first names that I put on the list uh, was David Arnett. He serves as the president of North Point Bible College, and we'll hear a little bit more about that in just a moment. But he's not just President Arnett, but he is Dr. Arnett and uh, has uh, extreme levels of higher education, and that is a, a world in which God has called him to. But to me, I think he'll always be Pastor Arnett. The first three years of ministry that Rhonda and I uh, served in full-time pastoral work, we were in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and had the great privilege to serve on staff at the church that Pastor Arnett led. Um, I can tell those of you who are part of the Calvary family, I literally hear uh, his voice in my head every day, and uh, the way that uh, he shaped the way I view everything from the administrative to just the people work of ministry. And so, Pastor, it is a privilege to introduce my pastor um, to my friends. So thanks for being with us today. That's an honor. And uh, you're, you're no stranger to Calvary. You've, you've been with us over the years and had the opportunity to speak and share and impact our people. And uh, so it's, it's really good to have you here. Thank you. Every time I go on Facebook in January, for some reason, Calvary pops up. Is that right? Because it seems like that's when uh, we've been able to, to, to make it happen to have you come. So, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> there's no place like mommy in January. That's that's for sure. Well, there's a lot of snow in those photos. It's true. It's true. So, well, tell us a little bit about, um, uh, you know, your day job, if you will. I, I think people people might not have a clue. What's it mean to be a president of a Bible college? And maybe give us a little insight into North Point. Uh, you know, being a president of Bible college, my mother said, when are you going to go back into the ministry? But she doesn't realize that as the president of a Bible college, I work with ministers all day long with their idiosyncrasies and their uh, strange personalities. But we also conduct four chapels a week, which is like doing church four times a week with four yeah. different focuses. And, and uh, usually we'll have a different speaker every day and a different worship team every day. So it, it's, it's ministry in addition to working with future ministers and missionaries. And, but there's also an awful lot of administration. There are days where I wish I could go back and pastor a church and build relationships with the congregation but because it is heavy on administration, budgeting, dealing with the various agencies, the accrediting agencies, and the, of course, the federal government, state government, and so on. So all those things are part of what I do. I do meet extensively. Uh, if you hear that I have died, it will probably be under the title of death by meetings because I have so many meetings on a daily basis. I've had the privilege on a couple of occasions to be on campus there at North Point and even kind of be your, your shadow in and out of different things and to see um, the way, and this has always been something that you've been gifted at, Pastor, but the, the way you can take off one hat and put on another, you know, you, you're wearing the finance hat, you got to take that off for a moment, put on the counselor hat, and then take that off for a moment, and, and uh, put on the, 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 the visionary hat, and they all, they all kind of come off and on seamlessly, and uh, so I, thankful you're, you're in the, it's, it's a big job, but they got the right man for the job. My office is a prop, I really don't spend much time in my office, <laughs> uh, because my management style is management by walking around and talking to people, because I manage people who then manage the functions of the college. Yeah, that, that's, that's my philosophy in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I remember that 
Um, it's funny you say that. And there's stories I probably shouldn't tell, but when we were in Milwaukee, I think I've told you this already, but when we were in Milwaukee, there was a, a ministry that did like a food pantry at the church and they would, uh, they would get like expired food items. Do you remember that? I do. Yes. And every so often, some of them would float up into the office. And I remember there were some cinnamon rolls that were in the office one day and you were, you were out just kind of spending time with a few of us. And we were encouraging one another and talking through some things that were heading and you, you were eating one of those cinnamon rolls. And I remember that as you took the last bite and kind of picked it up, a couple of us caught, there was a glimpse of mold that was on the bottom of that cinnamon roll that, uh, that, that you kind of popped in. And at that point you're like, well, Hey everybody, I gotta, I gotta move along. And you headed into your office. And I don't think any of us ever had the heart to tell you. Oh, thanks a lot. Well, it was penicillin. We figured it would help okay. your, uh, your immunity and, and look at you. That was, yeah, you know, I, and you're stronger now than ever. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that was just a fun story. Here's, here's an unfair question. Okay. If you had to, if you had to tell your life story in three minutes, what, how, how would it go? Three minutes. Born in Colorado, raised in New Mexico, uh, came to faith in Christ. Felt very strongly that I was not to pursue my uh, congressional appointment to the Air Force Academy. Instead, prepared for ministry, went to Central Bible College in Missouri, completed a degree there, continued on, got a second degree, went back and became a youth pastor for a brief time in New Mexico, went and pastored in Illinois, pastored in Wisconsin, went and became a professor at Central Bible College, went back and pastored for a while, and then got another invitation to go back and, and teach and then become part of the administration. And each time I've moved since then, it was either further north and to, to the east. And at this point in time, you can't go much further to the east or the north than Massachusetts, or you'll be in Greenland or Iceland. So th that's it in a nutshell. About 27 years of pastoral ministry, uh, and, and some of that was overlapping with being a professor because I got bored being with just a professor. So I planted churches in my weekends, in my spare time, ran a bookstore uh, in my spare time with my family and a few other things, but we did that just to keep busy and help the bookstore actually help send my kids through college. So that's it in a nutshell. You, you've rarely been bored, have you? Uh, yeah, not bored wouldn't be the word I think of. <laughs> no, but that's, and I don't, I don't know that I've ever put that together, but uh, you, you, you left sunny New Mexico and just kept heading Northeast, didn't you? I did with my goal I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, "Support Your Local Gunfight." No, your 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 local sheriff. Uh -uh. They hire him as the sheriff, and he says, "But keep in mind, this is a temporary assignment because my ultimate goal in life is to end up in Australia." And that's kind of how I viewed my life. I've always wanted to get back to the northwest corner of New Mexico, that Four Corners area, and fish and hunt and do whatever. Well, that has never happened. So, <laughs> still, that's my goal, and it's not happening. So. Well, it's, it's good to have it in your sights though. So if you, if you could, uh, we'll get, we'll get past this Corona and shelter at home season. Um, and if you, you could have the perfect day, like you could, you could schedule and map out the, the day that you go that, that, that was the, the best day that I could imagine. What would the perfect day look like? Would you think badly of me if I said I would need a private jet to make it happen? No, no, we've, we've, uh, We've had some other respondents uh, use time machines, so you're okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I would like to wake up in the morning in the in a mountain cabin in the Rockies, uh, eat breakfast in that cool mountain air, 
maybe take a stroll, ride a horse, come back, jump on a plane, fly to maybe the Midwest and eat a good Mexican meal. I know that sounds strange, but I don't <laughs> really mean a Mexican meal. I mean an Americanized Mexican meal. And then fly to a beach destination for late afternoon, evening, get into the warm waters. And it'd have to be on the Gulf side. It couldn't be on the Atlantic side. That water's just too cold. And uh, spend some time on the beach. And then with my wife, take a stroll up and down the, the beach and have a nice relaxing dinner on the beach with by candlelight or, or torchlight or something like that. Uh, that's not very spiritual, is it? No, but um, I, I, I'm not mad. I'd, I'd sign up for that day. That's a good day. Yeah. So you can, you can appreciate God's creation yeah. in the Rockies and on the beach. And thank him for everything that he's done and thank him for the relationships that I've had. Uh, I would need to sneak in there somewhere, and it could be on the plane ride or some kind of monster truck rally for my grandson. <laughs> okay. That's I, I, that's a new endeavor. I didn't know that was you'd oh, yeah. your hobbies. Yeah, my grandson and I have watched all of the Cars movies. We've we've tried to broaden that out, and now when he comes and sits on my lap, we have to watch a monster truck rally on YouTube. That's awesome. Well, life is a highway, so that's yeah. that's awesome. So here's here's maybe an interesting question given the times that we're in. Um, I, I've been very privileged. Um, that in my time as, as, a, as an associate pastor, when I, before I stepped into this role at Calvary, I served under two pastors um, with, with you, Dr. Annette, and then with, with Doug Clay as well, and, and the church is familiar with, with both of you. So I've kind of had a front row seat then through our, our friendship to watch you. You've had to both navigate and lead through some really unique seasons of time. Um, you know, sat with you in board meetings uh, in, in church settings and have had conversations as whether it be um, institutions to go through transition or as you've moved and had to lead. I, I would say that that in most of the places that, that I've seen God lead you, at least in our friendship, um, they, they've not necessarily been easy places, places in seasons of transition. Um, and, and so that's that's unique. I'm going to guess that through some of that, you have some insight now into how to lead in a time of crisis. Like, like we're, we're in a season right now, whether you call it a pandemic, you call it a crisis. You and I were just talking a little bit offline about how so much is changing, even in higher education, church work, um, because of where we're at with uh, COVID-19. I'd be curious, like your perspective. How, how do you lead? What does it mean to lead through crisis? And not just, I mean, it'd be easy for people to go, well, I'm not the president of anything. I'm not the pastor of anything. But I think these same principles apply whether you're leading your family or your life or in the workplace. So I, I'd, I'd be curious, your thoughts on that subject of leading in crisis. My, my philosophy is actually bigger than a crisis because life is a crisis. I mean, almost every day you're faced with some kind of small crisis, whether it be a family issue or, or a, a work issue, just dealing with people. Can generate crises. The time to develop character is not in the middle of the crisis. You have to have that developed prior to, and the same thing is true of, of systems. You don't want to wait until the crisis to be able to respond. You have to have preparation and planning ahead of time. And I've noticed that if you don't do that, things can implode very quickly. So I, I approach it as we are on a cruise ship 
uh, let's drop a cruise ship out of that. Let's say a, <laughs> a merchant marine ship and the crew had better be trained so that when the bell rings, everybody knows where their station is and what their job is. And when this came along, we were able to act very quickly. On the day that they declared the emergency, we were already sending students home because we were forward looking. We had a plan in place. We knew what we needed to do. And when Massachusetts shut down all non-essential businesses, we closed offices on that day and were able to send people home. And then when we had to switch to online learning for the students, it was an easy process because we had taken five years to train our, our faculty in learning management systems. Uh, some didn't like the idea, but now it's turned out to be a, a great tool. Mm -hmm. For us, it was an easy process. We had become a paperless campus because we knew that there was a day that was coming. And so we were able to do that because our crew had been trained on what to do when the bell and the whistles go off on the ship. Go to your workstation, do what you're supposed to do. Let's get it taken care of. Uh, and there is another thing, the character as aspect is sometimes you've got to make the tough decisions and you have to be able to take the hits. Some people are gonna question you no matter what you do. And I, I hate to admit that, but uh, whether it's my personality type or what, I recognize that my ultimate responsibility is to take care of the, the institution that God has placed under my care, and I've got to be a good steward of that. And sometimes you make the tough choices. It, it, it makes me think a little bit, you know, Pastor, whether, whether it was in church work, academic work, or now in, in the leadership role that you're in, you, you have always been visionary, like not, 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 um, not content to say, well, this is just where we're at, but to say, I guess I thought of it like, you know, you talk about online learning, you were pioneering online learning things 10, 10 years ago. And yes. saying, you know, long before you were the president of a Bible college, you were looking at how, how can we use this technology? That idea of creativity, innovation, being visionary, is that, is that something that you're, you're born with? Can you develop it? Is, is it innate or even even for your own personal life, how, how, do, how do you look ahead? That, that's a really good question. I know I've wrestled with this for probably 15 years. Are you born with leadership or do you develop leadership? And I've come to the conclusion that it's a little of both. Mm -hmm. There's some people that seem to be totally obtuse when it comes to leadership issues. They just are never going to be prepared for something that comes along. They just have no ability to see down the road. And, I, I don't know exactly what that is, whether you're born with that aspect. I do know that you can sharpen those skills because I'm constantly looking down the road five years, 10 years, 15 years, and recognizing, uh, especially in the educational institutions, higher education, you can't sustain massive debt long term mm -hmm. because then you become dependent on your tuition-driven institution. So we were able to do some things to become quite nimble because we didn't have massive debt. Now, Massive debt is a qualified, you have to qualify that. If you can handle your payments and things, that's something different. But when you get to a debt to equity ratio of one to one, the way some institutions have done, I don't know how to say to them, except you can't sustain that. We also realized we had to have diverse streams of revenue. You can't depend, be dependent upon one form of income as an institution. Now churches are a little bit different because you are dependent upon tithes and offerings of the people. Uh, but you might rent your facility from time to time. I don't know. We, uh, we've chosen to do that with, with very careful guidelines.
Well, I've appreciated, and thanks for hitting that character component of that too, because one of the things I've appreciated, pastors, is and and uh, I don't know if these are the right words, but you're you're an unconventional visionary. I think sometimes when we think of someone visionary, we think of someone who has to be loud or even obnoxious in some ways. I remember being an impressionable twenty whatever, you know, pastor under your tutelage, and and you quoted somebody once, and you said somebody somebody used to say to me, "He that tooteth not his own horn yes. shall not have his horn tooted." And, and then you said to me, you know, I don't know that I believe that and that you, you don't have to make a bunch of noise about yourself. You just stick to your character, um, be who God's called you to be, be visionary, be obedient, and God will open up those doors. And that was, that was honestly transformational in my view of a leader and what it means to be a person of character in the place where God's called you. Uh, th- there's an old, old movie. It's called Gentle Persuasion. Hmm. And that's my technique. If I have to force my ideas on you, it's not really accepted by you. It's been forced on you. Mm-hmm. And so when we came this week, we realized we were going to have to furlough some employees. But instead, we had a meeting in which we offered the employees the opportunity to select to be furloughed. But we gave them the case for why this would become important for us in the short term. And then we said, talk to your supervisor, and if you'd like to be furloughed, you make the decision. Mm-hmm. So is again, gentle persuasion, and it wasn't a matter of you're, you're, you're off the payroll, you're fired, you're laid off. We didn't have to do that. They made the decisions themselves. Uh, you may want to cut that out of this video. I'm not sure. <laughs> but but you, that's a good example of a gentle persuasion. So peel, peel that back a, one more layer for us. Like, um. Does that just apply if you're the president of a Bible college, or does that work with your family as well? No, no, absolutely. It, across the board. So rather than mandating from top down, this is the way it will be, you've got to get on board or you're bad. It's a matter of let me lay out a case for you as to why we want to do this and ask questions. So I open it up and have lots of opportunities for questions. And then if we can answer the questions appropriately, I find a lot of people, it's, my, it's actually my fundraising technique. When I raise money for the college, I never actually even have to get to the ask portion. I usually say to them, this is our vision. This is what we're trying to do. This is what we'd like to accomplish. And they will say to me frequently, how can I be a part? And then it's a matter of, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Gentle persuasion. Yeah, that's good. So you can do the same thing with your family. Let's, uh, here's, here's, here's a kind of a fun question that we've been asking folks uh, on this, uh, this conversation. Remember kindergarten and show and tell, and you got to, you got to take an object in and tell the class about it. Um, do you, do you, maybe putting you on the spot, but do you have anything kind of within your reach that might be meaningful to you that you, you do a little show and tell, and here's an object yeah. that's important? Uh, as, as at my age, strangely enough, becoming tech savvy, became essential to everything I do. So I was sitting in an airport and somebody said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm managing a multi-million dollar corporation on an iPhone. Yeah. And so I have forced myself to learn the technology, learn all the apps. And today I signed uh, large documents for money on a, an electronic device. Mm-hmm. So I, that sounds strange, but my wife, got me into the Kindle. Hmm. Owning a bookstore in the past, I feel like a trader 
<laughs> but I have all my books now on Kindle. Yeah, yeah. So that that sounds strange, but no, it's 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 the reality of the day and time we live in, and uh, I, I'm so thankful, you know, for that kind of insight. You know, just to brag on Calvary's team a little bit. Um, you know, just just before, uh, well, about a year and a half ago, our communication director said, "Hey, I really think we should step up our online presence." And so we invested in some yes. technology, we invested in equipment, and have been experimenting with with all of this online stuff. And and similar to what you said, um, I, I had been out of town and, and got back on March 12th, as Ohio's governor said, "Hey, no more no more gatherings." And uh, we didn't have to buy any equipment. We didn't have to run wire. We didn't have to build sets. We were ready to go. And, uh, and I'm thankful for people around me who, who saw that potential and, and our team who did a great job of embracing technology and having us ready long before we ever even needed to be. So are you, uh, are you listening to or reading anything that, that you would say, hey, you, you, should, you should be taking this in as well? Well, strangely enough, I, I actually have – started listening to books on tape uh, because I've been driving quite a bit or had been driving quite a bit. And I have listened to the Truman story. Hmm. It's about a 20 hour massive tome. If you had to read it, you'd, you'd have to have a small truck to carry the book around. <laughs> but in addition to that, I'm now digging through the life of Jonathan Edwards. Huh. Minutia that I never knew about but it also explains an awful lot about his theology and why he became such a firm, dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist, and yet he wasn't a Calvinist. It sounds strange. He was a Calvinist, but he wasn't a good Calvinist. And why he would preach sinners in the hands of an angry God and his view of total depravity of man. Once you know his childhood upbringing and where he came from, suddenly the theology begins to make sense. Uh, I still like some of his theology, but some of it you've got to realize, oh, this is a person who had a dysfunctional section of his life because of uh, murderers in his family. Uh, just, just all of that background. So it's fascinating stuff. Another book I'm going through right now is 50 Christian leaders you need to know about. Hmm. And amazing testimonies. It's inspirational, challenging. It talks about their weaknesses, their shortcomings, but it also talks about what made them the great Christian influencers that they were not all of them would be prominent leaders or great preachers some of them were behind the scenes influencers and it's an amazing amazing book to listen to i always end up with a chapter being completely inspired huh okay so so help, help us with this like there's probably some people who go okay truman edwards 50 guys like apparently this arnett guy's just into history but there's a there's a mindset that we have to have when we're when we're reading and learning these things to recognize this isn't some story about some old dude in the past this this can make a difference for me too right yeah absolutely uh, what i'm finding is i'm gleaning from them and making mental notes of okay this is what made them what they were some of them it was their devotional life it was their dedication to reading and then incorporating scripture some of it was how they practiced a a day-to-day -day walk with God that then converted into what they did in their ministries. Uh, some of it also was their decisions to not take the high-profile, big-paycheck positions, but instead to stay where they were at, to plod along, and they ended up becoming a greater influence on Christendom hmm. because they had the freedom that they wouldn't have had if they were in the high-profile pulpit. 
And so I'm, you know, I'm taking note of all those kinds of things. And then I can actually share that with college students as a shaper for their future ministers and missionary roles. So yeah, it's, I don't, it's, a, it's, I'm gleaning leadership techniques from all of them. I, I've found at least once or twice a year, I, I need to, to expose myself to a really good biography because of what I learn about those other people and how it, how it challenges me. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I can read the nonfiction books and get the precepts and principles from those nonfiction books, or I can read a biography and actually see it in flesh being worked out in a real man or real woman's life. Yeah. And that, I actually enjoy that part of it. Very much. Yeah. Okay. Here's another, here's another fun question. I'm curious about this. Do you have a hidden talent? Not that I know of. <laughs> if, if it is, it is so hidden. It's, it's buried beneath the surface. Yeah. I could be a jack of all trades. I could run my own um, small business there's a small machine company repairing comp uh, electronic devices and things like that. I believe that. Here, here's, here's maybe not a hidden secret or, or a hidden talent, but uh, something that's interesting. Um, you still have your truck, don't you? I do, yes. Tell us, tell us about your brand new truck. Yeah, my, my Ford Ranger, 1997 Ford Ranger. It's still running. I'm still using it. I do have a philosophy of it ain't broke, don't fix it. I've had to spend very little money. I had to put a new battery in it recently, and that was the third battery in all of those years. <laughs> I've had to change the tires twice. I think one of them I had a blow, uh, had a, I hit something that drove through the side, so I had to replace that tire. But, you know, it's a standard transmission, crank windows. Nobody wants to drive it but me. So, hey, why get rid of it? I remember, I remember the day you bought that thing. And it's so funny because the, the, the contrast of you have forever, this isn't just in the last couple of years, as long as I've known you embrace technology. So, you know, you were, you were one of the first people I knew to have a smartphone. And one of the first people I knew, I remember when a season, I think you had two, didn't you? You had to have one for your I business, did. one for your, uh, for your school, uh, you know, role and, and uh, all those different things. And yet um, that, that truck is, I remember the day you bought that truck and drove it into the parking lot at Evangel Assembly in Milwaukee. And, and uh, you said to me, I chose this truck because it'll, have, it'll keep a good resale value, which- And it still does. <laughs> I, che I checked last night. It's still <laughs> appraised at $3,000. Man. I only paid 10,000 for it. You've gotten your money's worth out of it. Oh, too. absolutely. I'm pretty sure. So, and it, it's a millennial. It has a built-in millennial safety device. A standard transmission. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so here's here's maybe one of my last questions. Um, you know, we're in a season, and I think there's a shift happening, Pastor. Where, uh, you know, we're we're recording this a couple weeks after Easter. Up until Easter, I think people were really thinking, what is this situation we're in? And there's a lot of fear about the virus and, and, and all this. And we seem to be shifting to a season of, you know, when will this end? Like, how, how are we going to get on the other side of this? And some of these things may even be sorted out, you know. But one of the things that I've been doing is shifting the question in my mind from when will this end to how will this end? Like, God, what, what do you want to what do you want to teach me? What are the things that I need to learn like during this season? And, and I'm just, I just be kind of 
curious if there's anything you can share with us, just kind of, what are you learning right now? Like personally, spiritually, maybe professionally, like are, are there things that you feel like, especially in this season, God is, is, uh, is helping you to have some insight into? This, this sounds really strange. And I wrote this down. I need to share it at some point. I'm actually excited by what's happening. It's almost like God is pressing the reset button on a lot of things uh, where you go back and suddenly you have to consider what is essential and what's not essential. What makes a church and what doesn't make a church? What do we do as a family? Right now, families are having to do the education for their kids instead of the, the professionally trained public school teachers. And so now it's a matter of families are having to rethink what is it is it is to be a family. What is it for a family to be spiritual? We can't count on just the church to provide all of our spirituality. We're having to do it at home. Also, I'm finding the churches are being forced to be innovative. I kind of like some of the things I see. They drive in church things. My wife and I went to one, and I told her, we would never have gone to this little church. We just happened to see that they were having an outdoor service on Easter Sunday, and we were driving to the next town. We decided, let's pull in there. On that Sunday, we went to three churches, two online and one in a parking lot. And I, I said, look at this. These are just people that are randomly going by. I have a friend in South Carolina, pastors a small church, but he decided to do the parking lot church. And his attendance has gone up. His offerings have gone up. He's reaching more people than he ever had before. It's almost like God is saying, let's press a reset and let's get the people out in the community and be the church there as well as inside the building. I'm not opposed to buildings or anything, large gatherings, don't misunderstand but I find it's suddenly becoming creative. And so the piece that I wrote was, it's now time for the lay people who've been taking all of those seminars and how to be a leader to step up and lead in small group settings, in their communities, in their homes. So now be the leader in the church that you were trained to be, whatever that looks like, a servant leader. So very true. And, uh, you know, early early in this process, one of the things we talked about as a church was don't let don't let a crisis rob you of opportunity. Yes, like, that's I mean Esther's maybe the the clearest example in scripture, but over and over and over again, it's it's when people find themselves in a crisis that God gives them the opportunity, not just to see a miracle happen, but to see a transformation happen in such a significant way. And so when nine yeah. eleven happened, a lot of people returned to church. And somebody said, when they got back to church, they didn't find the answers they were looking for. It's because it was church as usual. Mm -hmm. What I think is happening now is people are asking some tough, challenging questions, especially with people dying all around us. Yeah. And now they're able to ask the questions up close and personal of their family members, of their friends. And the answers are not always pretty. They're not always easy. But maybe they're getting biblical answers and the church is being the church. So I see it also as a real season of opportunity. Like I haven't seen in my lifetime. It has the feel of the Jesus people revival of the late sixties, early seventies, where the churches in those days were not inside the buildings, but it was out in the parks and in the neighborhoods. And so I kind of has that feel again, God is doing something fresh and new and I'm excited about yeah. what's going to happen next. Very cool. Two, Two more quick questions for you. If somebody wants to learn more about uh, David Arnett or North Point Bible College, any place where they should go? Uh, I do a lot of stuff on Facebook. I know that they, the young people tell me Facebook is, is outdated and stuff, but 
I use Instagram, but I use Instagram to feed back to Facebook. So I do a lot of things on Facebook. I try to post something early in the morning and again, late in the evening, because there's two different audiences there. But also our website is northpoint.edu. And if people were to go there, they'd learn more about the college and all of the innovative things that we're doing in terms of branch campuses across the country. And maybe soon in other countries, we're working on a couple of other locations outside the United States. Well, and I would encourage, especially someone who is interested in um, how, how do I pursue a call of God in my life, especially considering full-time ministry, definitely check out North Point. Um, and then what you're doing uh, for, for graduate work as well, the, the master's uh, cohorts that are meeting regionally, geographically, and, uh, and, and the online options as well. Definitely, if you're, if you're looking into education, check out North Point. And I would say, yeah, give, give Dr. Annette a follow on, on Facebook. Um, not only do you post some really insightful, thoughtful things, but some of the best memes I've seen uh, in this whole coronavirus season have, have come from uh, a couple times I've laughed and, and then looked up and saw they were from you. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. So that's how I maintain my sanity in, in trying times. Sense of humor goes a long way. It sure does. So last question, how, how can we pray for you? Um, pray for this school because we are facing the challenges that everybody else is facing as an institution. Uh, it poses some difficulties for us we had to send the students home. And when we do that, we have to turn around and refund their money or uh, work with them on other kinds of programs. So that, that's a challenge, a financial, just like everybody else, we're facing that big financial challenge, getting through the summer. Normally every summer is three months long. Well, this year it's a five month long summer. Yeah. yeah. And so that for us will be a bit of a challenge. And then we've lost revenue from all the groups that would rent from us and, and so on. So that's, the, that's tying me to my occupation. But as a family, Pray for my family. My mother just was tested for COVID-19. Fortunately, the test came back negative, but uh, one of the other nursing homes that's part of her chain, there have been a person that has had come up, cropped up there. So you can imagine how serious that was for us. Yeah. I think she might have, she was running a fever and so they tested her. And then my kids are scattered all over Wisconsin, Missouri, and uh, Massachusetts. And so you, you can imagine where my, my heart's is for each of them. Yeah. And then I got stranded in Florida because of the travel restrictions outside of that. So I can't even be with my family other than my wife right now. So pray with us. And I want to say, Pastor, I've had nothing but the highest regard for you from the time I saw you as a student at Central Bible College and your the wife that you married or the, the wife that chose to let you marry her. That's more so, like <laughs> highest regard for you and your ministry. Well, well I was going to, I was going to say, Thank you. I, I, uh, I mean, first, thanks for, for those nice thoughts, but then also, you know, um, when you, when you left teaching at CBC to go pastor in Milwaukee, I remember you said, I'm doing an experiment and I'm going to hire uh, many of your education classes um, were, were largely uh, those who were at that season of time preparing to teach. That was, yes. the, that was the cycle that Rhonda was in. And so you said, you know, I, I, I have quite a few of these students that I think I might I might hire some staff based on um, their spouses. And I remember you said about Rhonda, I I I I respect her. I'm gonna maybe trust that she she made a good choice. And so uh, Rhonda and and uh, her character was how we ended up in Milwaukee um, in a children's pastor role for a guy who had no right being a kids pastor, just no experience. But I remember um, your wife Kathy really 
took me under her wing and gave me a lot of guidance and insight. And honestly, Pastor, on a daily basis, there's things I learned in those years in, in uh, Milwaukee that, that run through my head was so shaped by that time. And um, if you've ever wondered, could Jesus really, you know, give the disciples everything they needed in three years? I think of what I learned in those three years. And I, I you know, Jesus, like, I really respect you, but, you know, like, uh, that's a pressure, right? <laughs> but, uh, but, but thank you. So can we pray for you? Yes, please do. So Father, I, I thank you for, for Pastor and Kathy Arnett and their family. God, I thank you for the influence that you've allowed them to have on countless lives, God, and, and uh, Lord, for their friendship and, and uh, fingerprints that are all over uh, our family. And God, I, I thank you for uh, his leadership in this season, God. We pray for North Point Bible College especially as we're in this uh, uncertain time with the pandemic, but then even summer and the finances and, and changes that may be coming to higher education in the, in the days ahead. God, would you give him wisdom, give him insight to see how you are leading? Would you give provision that's nothing short of supernatural and let them know physically, spiritually, financially, in every way, your, your presence and your hand on this vital institution in our fellowship that's uh, training up ministers and missionaries for the days ahead. Lord, we pray for the Arnett family and just ask that you would, uh, as their kids are all over the country, God, would you keep them and, and the grandkids safe? Let them know your presence in this time. And uh, Lord, we thank you again for the, the things that we share in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor, thanks for taking the time and uh, letting us do this introduction. Stay safe, wash your hands, and uh, Look forward to when we can have the chance to be together again soon. Absolutely. God bless you, your family, Calvary, Toledo, Ohio, and the world. All right. Thanks, Pastor.